Thank you for joining us today here at Victory. At Victory Church, we are a community of authentic, spirit-led Christ followers transformed to walk in victory. Join us as we begin today's message. So I got a cool question for you guys as we kind of dive in today. We're going to be talking about being homesick. It's kind of a theme here. And, and so as we start this off, I got a question for you. Has anybody in here ever felt homesick before? Anybody have? Yeah, I think all of us have felt homesick before, right? Why is that? What causes that homesick feeling? You ever wondered that? And have you ever wondered why, even when we're at home, sometimes we still feel homesick for other places? Like maybe it's the beach, or maybe it's like a lake, or maybe it's a vacation spot. Or maybe you get homesick for the place that you were originally, you were born, and you were raised. You start desiring and longing for that place that you were born and you were raised. You kind of get homesick, even though you're standing in the middle of your own living room. You ever wondered, why do I feel like this? I mean, we've got, we, we all, we spend our life kind of trying to fill this void a lot of times throughout our life, we try to fill this void that this homesick feeling leaves us with by trying to find the place, catch this, by trying to find the place where we feel like we're supposed to be. But nothing ever fully satisfies. And we're left with this like thought in the back of our mind like, man, I think that something is missing. Something is off here. Why is it that I stand in the middle of my living room and yet so often I still like I'm, I feel like I'm not at home yet? Why do we feel that way? What causes that? And if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how the ripple effects of the choices that we make in this life will be felt for all of eternity. And we see the results of that, the effects of that, in this homesick feeling that we get. Because get this, the homesick feeling that we get, it's the ripple effects, catch this, it's the ripple effects of the first man, Adam's choice that he made in a garden thousands of years ago. We still feel the reverberations, the echoes of Eden from thousands of years ago. In other words, the reason that you feel homesick is because we're not home yet. This is not our home yet. There is a reason for that. And no matter what you do, no matter where you go, you will never be home in this life. But the amazing, incredible truth is because of Jesus, it won't be like that forever. Because of Jesus, we've been given an incredible hope and a future with him for eternity in heaven. And in heaven, we will finally be home. That's our big idea today. In heaven, we will finally be home. And in the text that we're going to be in today, we're going to see that in heaven, our real home, our real home, it'll be more incredible than you can ever imagine. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the fact that you have relentlessly pursued us. Even though sin, our sin, has caused a wedge between us and you that you literally crossed the spans of time, that you went from heaven to earth, came, died on a cross in our place in order to give us a way back home to you. And I thank you so much for that. And I pray as we dive into this text, God, I pray that you, that you illuminate these texts, so many of these texts that so many of us have read multiple times, that you illuminate them and help us to see your truth, to see your heart, what it is that you want us to know. God, help us to see this place, this paradise that you have waiting for us, what you've created for us, where, we are, where we're meant to be from the very beginning. Help us to see this and to picture this and to see it with clarity. Holy Spirit, I pray that you just take over, that you use me, a sinful, broken man, a broken vessel. Speak in me, speak through me, God. God, I pray, Holy Spirit, I pray that you just break down chains and barriers in our life, that you help us to get a clear vision of this place of, of heaven and to give us an excitement and a fire and a passion for it. But I pray that you also break chains and, and barriers in our life. Anything that is keeping us from you, Jesus. And I pray if there's anybody in here that does not know you, Lord, I pray. And that hasn't responded to your gospel. 
I'll pray that you would just help them to respond, that you would break those chains and those shackles in their life. We submit this time to you, Holy Spirit. We pray that you just take over. I pray that all this in Jesus' mighty and precious name. And all God's children said, amen. Amen. All right, so, so quick heads up. We have got a ton, a ton, ton, ton of ground to cover, okay? Just, just a heads up. We've got a lot of scripture that we're going to be in. So if you were here for the first time, it's going to be more ground than what we typically cover, more scripture than we typically cover. If you have the church app, we have an app, by the way, all the scripture is going to be lined up for you. So if you got that app, go ahead and break it open. Um, so And also, if you weren't here last week, we, we started, we kicked this, this series off, this Heaven series. Um, so you won't be lost today, but it will help. It kind of set the foundation in some ways. So please go back. You can log online. You can look at the, the church app. But we do have a ton of ground to cover. We're literally going to be going from finish to start and then back to finish again, kind of coming around full circle in this book that we call the Bible. Why are we doing all of this because the point is to get a clear picture to try to get as best of a picture as we possibly can of what this place heaven is actually going to be like what it what it means what it looks like what it's going to mean for us practically speaking as people but then also how everything in the bible is interwoven it's all connected together this gospel message and ultimately it all points us back to jesus and points us to this place called heaven where we were created and meant to be from the beginning. So we've got a lot of ground to cover. We're going to kick this off starting with Revelation 21, verse 1. This is the Apostle John speaking. This is a revelation that he got from Jesus Christ. He was told to write this down. Uh, this is John who wrote the uh, gospel according to John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. This is John writing. This is what he saw and he wrote. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Okay, so I'm going to pause there for just a second, and I want to hit on a, a few kind of kind of misunderstandings that sometimes people have and, and kind of uh, shed some light, some clarity on some things. So first off, when it comes to the, uh, God's plan of redemption, so God's plan of redemption, sometimes there's this, this misunderstanding about God's plan of redemption. We think, okay, well, God's plan of redemption involves people, like it's, it's followers of Jesus Christ, and I want to emphasize followers of Jesus Christ. He's going to redeem his followers, and that's it. That's, that's his plan of redemption. But guys, that couldn't be further from the truth. God's plan of redemption is not just to redeem people, followers of Jesus Christ. It's also to redeem this universe and everything in it. That's his plan, to redeem the universe, everything in it, including his followers. So same universe, just redeemed, along with all the followers of Jesus Christ. And then another misconception that sometimes uh, people have is this, this thought, this idea that, that God is going to take this universe, he's going to save all of us as followers of Jesus Christ, right? And then he's going to take this universe, he's going to essentially ball it up, and then throw it in like this cosmic trash can, and then light it on fire, and that's it. And he's going to start again from scratch, right? That's this kind of mindset that a lot of times people, people carry. But guys, when we take on that mindset, we forget that what God initially made, listen, listen, what God initially made, what he created, was never, it was never inherently bad. I mean, think about it. When God made the world, what did he call it? He called it good. He called it good. So God's plan of redemption, that's the key word there, God's plan of redemption does not involve him destroying the universe, the world, and everything in it, and then starting over from scratch. God's plan of redemption is to redeem this world back to what he originally designed it and created it to be, along with, again, all of us as his followers of of Jesus Christ. So same universe, same world, but just redeemed along with all of us as his followers. And then something else that we see in this text, really quick, I want to 
I want to hit on this. There's, there's something that causes a lot of confusion for people. It's seen in this text. It's the last part of this text when John, the Apostle John says, and the sea was no more. And the sea was no more. So when we see that word sea, a lot of times what we, what we think when we kind of skim past that or we just, we just kind of read it without really diving into it, it's, it's this mindset that, oh, man, the seas, I'm not going to have any seas in, in heaven. Like, there's not going to be any oceans. That's horrible. I mean, you know, and, and for me, I'm a water lover, man. We got any water lovers in here? Any water lovers? Yeah, I love the beach. Uh, there you go. Okay. I love, I love lakes. I love the beach. I love water. And so for me, I read that. I'm like, what? Are you kidding? There's going to be no oceans in heaven. But, but hear me on this. There, there are a few big, big, big reasons why I 100% fully, completely expect there to be oceans in heaven. Okay? First of all, what did, when, when God made water, what did he call it? called it good, right? He called it good. That's part of God's good creation. It's not the result of sin. It's a result of God's good creation. What he declares as good, he doesn't just change his mind. It's good, part of his good creation. The second reason is because the Bible clearly tells us in other places that there's going to be rivers in heaven. We know that. There's going to be rivers. The Bible tells us that. So there's going to be water. There's going to be rivers. So where do rivers go to? They go to oceans. If you didn't know that, rivers go to oceans, right? So that's kind of that, like, oh, yeah, there's going to be rivers. So that is just kind of the common sense thing. You follow the ball along. But here's the third reason. And this is, like, probably the biggest reason why I 100% believe that there is going to be oceans in heaven. No reason not to. It's because this word sea in John's day and age, the Apostle John, first century, right? So you think about the time frame difference. There were two ways to use this word. In the biblical language, this word sea. The first one is the one that we use, right? The sea, the ocean. And so when we read that, we think, oh, he's talking about the ocean. Well, that's one way that they would use that word. But the second way that they would use that word sea is catch this, catch this. The main way that John, the apostle John, would use this word sea in the entire book of Revelation. This is the main way that he would reference it. And that word, this is the way that they would use it, the second way, to describe chaos. The chaos because of sin, God's wrath, and God's judgment right because to them the ocean think about it i mean today we've got a lot of we got these big ships we got different things that can kind of handle a big waves back in that day and age they were scared to death of it i mean shipwrecks things like that would happen a lot that was a very scary thing so it's chaos in the ocean and that's what they used to describe that so when when john's saying that the sea will need no more what he's saying is that the, the chaos from sin god's wrath and god's judgment all because of sin will be no more and then when you start to read it, it's like, oh, wow, that makes sense, too. He's not saying, guys, listen, for all you water lovers out there, he's not saying there's not going to be any more water. There's not going to be any more oceans. I 100% fully expect there to be oceans so all you water lovers can breathe easy out there. I cannot wait, as a water lover myself, to be diving into the oceans in heaven because I fully expect there to be them. Okay, let's keep on going in this text. Revelation 21, verses 2 through 3. He says, this is John talking, I also saw this holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, look, God's dwelling place is, catch this, with humanity, and he will live with them, they will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them, and he will be their God. So guys, one of the most important things when we're talking about heaven, one of the most important things to understand is that what makes heaven heaven is not a place. It's not like a physical place. That's not what makes it heaven. What makes heaven heaven at the end of the day is that the presence of God is there. 
That's where, that's what makes heaven heaven. The presence of God makes it heaven. And so because the presence of God is going to be there literally with us, that means it's going to be awesome. It's going to be in, incredible, right? But then it, it kind of stems to this question, well, what is it, what is it going to be like? I mean, the presence of God's going to be there. It's going to be awesome. But what is it going to be like? Are, are there... Are there any pictures that we see in the Bible that help us to kind of describe this? I know we can't fully understand this. We can't fully see this. Right now we see in part, but then we will see in full. But are there any pictures to help us gain some clarity, to help us imagine this? And yes, there are tons. There are several pictures all throughout the Bible. All throughout the Bible. The best one, the best one that we see to really help us understand and see what, what heaven's going to be like is in the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden. So you may not have known this today, but we're going to jump in a time machine, and we're going to go back to the Garden of Eden. Genesis 2, 4 through 5. Let's go back to the Garden. It says, These are the records of the heavens and the earth concerning their creation. At the time that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, no shrub of the field had yet grown on the land, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted. For the Lord God had not made it rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. So catch this. There's, there's a lot of things that we can dive through, but we're going to kind of hit on specific things here. The last part of that text, there was no man to work the ground. No man to work the ground. Guys, what we have to understand is work is not inherently bad. God created work as a good thing. We were created to be able to work, but the work that we're going to do in heaven, and yes, we will do work in heaven, is going to be good. We're going we're gonna to love it. It's going to be awesome. It will be perfect work, and it's not going to be marred by sin. When we think about work now, there's a lot of things with it that we think, okay, that's great. I like to work, but it gives us something to do and things that we do that we enjoy doing. But then there's like the labor, the intense labor. You think about, um, you know, trying to make ends meet or, or paying bills. And, and just a quick side note, no bills in heaven. Can I get an amen here? Amen. No bills in heaven. There, that's a, that a loud amen. No bills in heaven. I am looking forward to that. So none of that other stuff. Or the, you know, also the anxiety, the stress, the time frames. Oh, I guess I got to do this right. Or, you know, what if this person will do something wrong and they fire me? Or all these different things, right? And then on top of that, just the sin in general in our own life, you know, that we struggle with. Um, it, none of that stuff is going to exist, man. We are going to love doing this work. We're going to be enhanced bodies with the skills, the gifts, the talents that God has given us. Here's another question. The gifts, the talents, um, the, the skills that God has given us, the personality that God has given you, is that a bad thing? No. It's a part of God's good creation, right? So why would we think that he's going to take that away? Once he's declared something good, it's not like he declares that good and then all of a sudden he changes his mind, right? Now things have been tarnished by sin, but he's going to redeem that, right? So the skills, the gifts, the talents that we've got in this life, guess what? We can fully expect to have those in heaven, but enhanced, unmarred by sin, and now, there's going to be some gifts, obviously, that won't be there. We don't know everything, right? And we can kind of see in part right now. But so just for a quick example of that, we talk about spiritual gifts. And I don't know, you know, which ones will be there, which one. I don't know. That's, that's God, right? Well, we got to wait until we get there. But, like, think about prophecy, for example. So you're standing there in heaven. you got Jesus over here. you got all these other people. Somebody comes up and says, one day the wrath of God is going to come and judge them. And then you're looking around like, oh, I'm sorry, guys. We're already here. Apologize. That was a few years ago. Like, we're, gonna, we're not going to need we're not going to need prophecy, right? So that gift's not going to be there. So we don't know which ones, but we are going to have those gifts, those good gifts, those skills, the talents, personality that God has given you. And I fully expect there to be several different kinds of jobs and, and work that we'll be able to do based on those gifts, those talents, those skills that God has given you. And just a couple quick examples just to hit on this. So think about a builder, right? Think about somebody that has got a natural 
um, just, just a knowledge of how to build. They love to build, right? And this is something that they like to do. So in this world, they start building, they love doing it, and then somewhere along the way, they still like doing it, but then the pressures of life, the time frames, the, the, the sin, the anxiety, paying the bills, and you got to pay all your other employees, and then it, all of a sudden, it's like this work becomes just stress, right? And then you're looking forward to retirement. This thing that started out great, you loved it, you had a passion for it, it's like now I can't wait to just retire kind of thing, you know? You still love bits and pieces of it. But think about this in heaven. Somebody that's got this gift, this talent, this desire, but none of the sin. None of the time. There's no time in heaven. You can do, you can build things. You can build things with enhanced knowledge, enhanced abilities, be able to build things that you would never even be able to fathom and dream up. You can now all of a sudden be able to do unlimited amounts of resources, unlimited amounts of help because we're all a family. We want to help each other. There's no bitterness or rivalry like that, right? And there's no sin. There's no sin. And think about like somebody that's an artist, somebody that loves to paint with unlimited amounts of time to paint, enhanced abilities to be able to paint, putting like Picasso to shame, right? I mean, being able to make these masterpieces, unlimited amounts of paint and time to be able to create different things. This is just a couple of quick examples. Think about the gifts, the skills, the talents, the personality that God has given you. There's no reason those good things, there's no reason not to expect that those things are not going to be there in heaven without sin, but enhanced. Being able to do those things that you love to do. And and then another thing, I'm going to hit on this. We're going to hit on a little bit more uh, in a minute, but quickly want to hit on something. So we're going to be working. We'll have things to do that we love to do. But what does that mean? We're not going to be floating up on some clouds randomly up on some clouds playing like a little harp, you know, wearing like a loincloth. That's just weird. It's not going to happen. We're going to be doing things, and we're going to love doing them. We'll kind of come back to that in a little bit. But, but yeah, so let's keep on going in this text, Genesis 2, 6 through 9. But mist would come up from the earth and water all the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. And the man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had formed. The Lord God caused um, to grow out of the ground every tree pleasing in appearance and good for food, including the tree of life in the middle of the garden, as well as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So, so in this scene, just a quick side note here. In this scene, most commentary, uh, commentators actually believe that when God breathed life into the first man, Adam, that this was literally the pre-incarnate Jesus breathing life into his nostrils, like breathing life into him and that's just a really cool picture of jesus pre-incarnate jesus in the garden with adam and eve and also that same jesus that later died on the cross in our place and don't miss in this text man like this text just we were created for a physical existence let me say that we were created from the beginning in in a world unmarred untouched by sin for a physical existence so doing things catch this doing things like dancing singing eating, having fun, laughing, playing games, hanging out with other people, working, all these other things that we do in physical flesh and bone bodies. That's what we were created to do from the beginning. And see, the reason that, the reason that we think it's so weird, coming back to this dancing around in the cloud type of thing, the reason that we think it's so weird and foreign, like, like what is this going to be like? And it's, it's sometimes people, even pastors, sometimes have this, this, this idea like heaven doesn't sound fun. That actually sounds like hell. That sounds horrible to sing songs all day long for eternity, doing nothing but just singing and like standing on some cloud playing a little harp or something. That's just weird. The reason that sounds weird is because it is. 
It's completely foreign to anything that we know. We were not created for that. That's why it sounds weird, because it is weird. And it's, it's garbage. It's man-made garbage, man. It, there's nothing at all, nothing in the Bible that would even lead us to try to believe that. That stuff actually entered the church. There were a lot of um, uh, mystics, philosophers, ancient mystics, philosophers. And they would come up with these crazy random ideas, kind of over-spiritualizing everything. And then what would happen is this stuff ended up integrating itself into the church over the course of several, several years, hundreds of years. All of a sudden, we started believing this stuff as though it's gospel truth, but it's a complete lie. And we saw that we just got out of the Galatians series. You saw how quickly that, I mean, these, these false teachers come into those churches. All they're doing is spreading a lie. But they believed it, and it spread like wildfire to that whole region, which is why Paul wrote that book. We see that happening all over the place. So that's what happened. That's where those ideas over spiritualizing things, but there's nothing in the Bible about that at all. It's a complete lie. You will not be floating around in a cloud somewhere randomly playing a harp in a loincloth. It's weird. All right, so think about it like this. Think about it like this. So when Jesus Christ resurrected, third day, right? Dies, buried, resurrected, third day. When he came back, did he come back in a spirit? Did, did he come back as a spirit? No. He came back in a physical uh, flesh and bone body, right? Physical flesh and bone body. Guys, in the same way, in the resurrection from the dead, we will come back in the flesh and bone bodies that we were created to be in. Why? Because we were created from the beginning to be in a physical existence with God. Only these bodies are going to be unmarred by sin, that they're going to be enhanced, and we're going to be able to experience life in these flesh and bone bodies the way that we were designed and intended from the beginning to be able to, to experience real, full humanity without the limits of sin. We're going to be flawless. That's how we were designed flawless. Let's get down to verse 18. We're going we're gonna to skip down for the sake of time here. Genesis 2, 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. The Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird of the sky and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, and to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib that he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is Adam when God brings Eve to him. This one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. So, so in this scene... I think there's something that's so often missed in this scene. And there's a, there's a professor at Southeastern Theological Seminary that he kind of he describes this. And I think he hits a nail on the head when he talks about this. So in this scene, God makes all these animals, right? He brings these animals up to Adam. So Adam's naming all these animals, right? And so quick, quick side note, very quick side note. In heaven, we will not know everything. We will be in these perfect bodies as humans, but we will not have that sovereignty like God. So we will not know everything. We won't know everything. So what does that mean? We will still be able to discover things. We'll still be learning things. It'll be adventurous. It'll be a journey. And what does God love doing? We see it in this text, but we see it practically speaking in our everyday lives. God loves putting little surprises and blessings all over the place for us to discover. And he's loving just standing here watching Adam, right? He's, he's like, and that's not a weird thing. Like, think about like a daddy that's loving watching his little boy discover things for the first time. 
So eternity, heaven is going to be an eternity where we're doing things that we love doing. We're hanging out with Jesus, hanging out with our friends. It's going to be awesome, a celebration, doing work we love, where God is going to put little surprises and blessings all over the place for eternity for us to discover. And then notice, too, in this text, God makes the animals, but who, make, who names them? It's Adam. It's Adam. He gets to participate in this process. God made him, but Adam was the one who named them. So back to this. He's naming these animals. He's going through, like, okay, this is a, this is a dog, right? And this is a monkey. Oh, man, that thing's awesome. Look what that thing can do. Or, you know, this is a horse, zebra, bird, whatever. Naming all these, these animals. And so he's loving this process. It's, you know, he's experiencing things. He's learning things. It's an adventure. But, and, and I really think it's probably like with each animal that he's, he's naming and he's looking at as he's discovering these things, this thought in his mind, something's kind of creeping up. And, and it's like something's missing. You know, this is awesome. I, I love this, you know, but something is missing. And we don't have every tiny little detail in the Bible. Okay, we don't need to know every tiny little little detail. And this book would be like it'd be bigger than this whole world. I mean, it'd be crazy. We have every tiny little detail, right? But most likely one of two things happen. In this scene, he's naming all these animals. He discovers, wait a second, there's something missing. I'm loving this, but there's something missing. So either he goes up to God and he's like, God, I, I love this. Thank you so much for what you've done. I love, I mean, all these animals are awesome. Look at that monkey. That thing's cool, but, but something's missing here. I don't know what it is. And either he did that, and then God put him to sleep, started the first surgery, or, or God knows everything, so God waited for him intentionally to go through this process, get to the point where he's realizing more and more there's something missing. I love this. I, I love heaven. Look at everything that God has made for me, and I'm, I'm, in, I'm here with God, but, but something's missing. And he waited, and then he started that operation. Either way, it doesn't matter how it happened. This is the point. Here's the point. Here's the point. God intentionally waited for Adam to go through this process, calling out these names, naming these animals, until he got to the point where he realized, man, something is missing. Something is still missing here. And why does he do that? And then we go back to the creation account. right? Well, what does God do? He creates something, and he calls it good. right? So he creates something. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. And then he gets to this point. It's bad. What is that for man to be alone? Well, why does he do that? You know, it's not like God made a mistake. He said, okay, it's bad, and then he made a mistake. i got to go back and correct this. And it's not like in this scene. I mean, what's he doing in this scene? Why is he having Adam name all these animals? Because who is, who's missing? Who's missing? It's Eve. Eve is not there. God doesn't make mistakes. In other words, this is intentional. Even in the creation account, it's intentional. In this scene, it's intentional. Why? Why would he do that? Here's why. This is important. Get this. Here's why. Because we were created from the beginning in a, even a perfect, sinless world for relationship. For relation. We were created an absolute, 100% incredible need for relationship. And not just the relationship with God. A lot of times we stop with the vertical. We stop with this vertical relationship. We're created with, for a relationship with God. Yes, that is the main relationship we're created for with God. But that's not it. We have an absolute 100% need for relationship with other people. We forget about the horizontal. And guys, if we were created for perfect, I mean, for relationship with people in a, in a world unmarred by sin, with no sin at all, how much more do we need relationship in a world that is saturated in it? And yet so often people walk around like lone rangers. We were never, never, never meant to be like that. We're walking around like, like Rome. Rangers. And then check out in this text, Adam's response. When God brings Eve to him, uh, check out his response. In the biblical language 
really kind of sheds light on this. And with our language, it's kind of like it's easy to skim over. But the biblical language, it's kind of more like this. I'm going to try to read it like this, okay? This one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from Missy Eve is what he was waiting for. This is what he was missing. He didn't know what it was. And then God makes Eve, brings her to Adam, and this dude goes nuts. Like literally in this text in the big language, this dude's going nuts with excitement, doing like a happy dance. Like, you are what I've been waiting for. I knew something was missing, and you are it. He's so excited. And yes, this is in context of marriage, but it's deeper than that. It's the relationship that all of us, God created all of us to be in together, the vertical, but then also the horizontal. And um, it's important to understand this, too, because what sin does, sin drives a wedge between us and God. And a lot of times we stop there. We stop with the wedge that sin has caused, uh, put between us and God and our relationship. But guys, it's not just between us and God that sin has driven this wedge. It's also between us and each other. That sin has driven a wedge. But what does the gospel do? The gospel calls us, really the gospel commands us back to relationship with God and with each other. Back to the way that he originally designed it and intended it to be. All right, so let's skip on down. Verse 25, check out what this says. Both the man and his wife were naked yet felt no shame. They were naked yet felt no shame. So, okay, quick question. Who in here has kids? If you got kids, raise your hand. Okay. So if you've got kids, you've had kids, no matter how old you are, you should know the answer to this question. What happens when your kids are toddlers? What happens when it comes to clothes? What happens? Yeah, you all know this. People that have kids, you know this. Man, the clothes come off. When they're toddlers, they don't care. My son, Liam, he will wrestle me sometimes. I mean, sometimes he'll let me do it now, but he will wrestle me like, no, Dad. This often, I, mean, I remember the other day, I walked down the stairs, and I'm walking downstairs, and then all of a sudden I see this little baby, naked baby butt, bending over and like trying to get his toys out of the little like toy chest thing. I'm like, what in the world? This dude's like running around naked all over the place. He's like, I'm free. I mean, as soon as he gets the chance, dude, he's like, I don't need these pants. I don't need this diaper either. What is this thing for? I'm free, man. And he runs around naked. Why is that? Why do these toddlers do that? It's because they're innocent. They're innocent. There's no shame. There's no guilt. To them, it's like, dude, what are you guys doing wearing that stuff? That's ridiculous. I mean, I'm free, man, because they're innocent. And guys, that's what we were created for. We were created to be innocent, with no shame, no guilt whatsoever. This isn't a weird scene, like, why are they running around naked? That is, man, that's awesome. No shame, no guilt whatsoever, completely innocent, the way that God created us to be, unmarred by sin, and no guilt, no worries. And as we're talking about relationships, um, trying to hit on different questions that a lot of times people have, one question that a lot of times people, this might be the, the most asked question when it comes to heaven. Will we know each other? And will we, here's another way to form it. Will, will we remember each other? Like, will you remember your grandma or your spouse or whoever else? Well, first off, the most important thing is they are followers of Jesus Christ, right? Followers redeemed by Jesus be in heaven. Then yes, absolutely, right? Why not? I mean, the relationships were created by God. We were created to be, have a longing for relationships is a good thing. It's not a result of sin. It's a result of God's good creation. So, yes, we will know each other. Yes, I mean, like your, your grandma, your, your grandpa, or your, your kids, your spouse. Like when I think about my wife, Brittany, like we'll know each other. It's not going to be the same relationship, right? But I'm convinced that even in heaven, me and my wife, we're going to be best friends. 
And we're going to be able to do things that, you know what, we would have never been able to do in this world. We would have never been able to do in this life because, you know, different restraint, time constraints, money constraints. I mean, your sin constraints really is what it is. Yes, we'll know each other in heaven. We'll be able to remember each other in heaven. But it's going to be incredible. It's not going to be any sin at all. And, and if you want to know really what it's going to be like in heaven, the best way to really be able to picture heaven is to think about just all the good things that God has created. His good plan for creation. I mean, again, running, laughing, playing, you know, music, eating, food, you know, drinking water or whatever else, man. I'm thinking about like, you know, having, sipping on a cup of coffee with Jesus. I'm not sure if there's going to be coffee there, but, you know, if there's not, we're going to have something so much better. I mean, all these things that we're playing games. This question like, will there be sports in heaven? Why not? Why not? I mean, you know, without this sin, all these good things that God has created, these things we have to understand. We have to, you know, separate the difference. Man-made things, sin, the results of sin, and what God originally created. What God creates, what God declares as good is never bad. Never bad. And so all those things, we can expect, fully expect them to be happen in heaven. But, but the most incredible part of heaven, again, what really makes heaven more than anything else, is the presence of God. So we were made for relationship, right? The vertical relationship with God. But it's not just relationship, it's close proximity to God. Relationship with God, but then close proximity to God. So in other words, I'm standing here, Jesus is literally standing right there, flesh and bone, right? That's what we were created for. See, the Bible teaches that there was a, there's a pastor that explained this so well, and I'm going to kind of just stem off of what he said because he explained it so well. So the Bible teaches us very clearly that there's two places. There is God's place heaven and man's place earth. God's place heaven, man's place earth. And in the Garden of Eden, what happened is God's place heaven and man's place earth overlapped. Why? Because Adam and Eve and God were together because God was there. So in other words, the Garden of Eden was literally heaven on earth because God was there. They overlapped. And, and, and see, what we have to understand is God's plan has never changed. His good plan has never changed. His plan has always been to be in the place that he created for his people. Catch this, with his people. To be in the place that he created for his people with his people. That's always been his plan, and it's never changed. And that's why this picture of Eden, it's, it's, it's this incredible picture of what heaven is actually going to be like. We get these pictures all throughout the Bible, but especially in Eden. And this kind of generates the question, well, okay, if we were, if we were created for Eden, we were created for this physical existence with God, no sin, enhanced bodies, then what happened? Like, what is going on? Because obviously, we are not there now. So what happened? Let's check that out really quick. Genesis 3, 1 through 6. It says, Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but, the, but about the fruit in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it. And notice she's adding to that. Or you will die. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it, talking about Adam. So so many things that we could hit on in this text, but really quick, I, something I, I want you to see, and don't miss this, is in this scene, what is Adam doing? In that scene, what's Adam doing? 
Absolutely nothing. That's the point. Absolutely nothing. This dude stood there while his wife was being seduced, not sexually, but still being seduced in a way, right? And being lied to, and he did absolutely nothing. He let it happen. Didn't even say a word. Didn't approach it. Nothing. Stood there and let it happen. That's why in the Bible, Adam is the one that is ultimately blamed for sin entering the world, for destroying what God created, not Eve. Because he completely just stood there and did nothing while Eve was lied to. He knew what was going on, but he didn't say a single word. Let's keep on going. Genesis 3, 7 through 9. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? So first off, just a really, really quick hit here. First off, man, how awesome would it be just to be able to walk around with Jesus and to be able to just have a conversation with him? And this is obviously in this text, it leads us to believe this is something that happened all of the time. This was a, a regular occurrence to be able to walk around. And, and it's not like they were walking next to Jesus the entire time for all of eternity type of thing. It's not, that's not what we're created for. We could go, we get to do work, we get to hang out with each other and have fun and party. It's going to be awesome. And then we also get to hang out with Jesus as well. And this was a, a frequent occurrence to be able to walk and talk with Jesus. So how awesome is that? And so in this text, we, a couple of the things, one of the things that we see is this picture of what we get to look forward to. But then something else that we see is one of the, the saddest stories in the entire Bible. One of the saddest stories in the entire Bible is what we see in this scene. See, God created, remember, Adam and Eve for a perfect relationship with each other and with him. Perfect relationship, unmarred by sin, no shame, no guilt, none of that, no fear, none of that. But then now what are they doing? They're hiding. They're hiding behind a tree, and that's key too. They're hiding behind a tree. Why are they hiding? Because they're afraid. And who are they hiding from? They're hiding from God because they've disobeyed him. And because they are scared, what are they scared of? They're scared of wrath. They're scared of judgment. They're scared of punishment because they know that they have directly disobeyed the God of the universe. They did the thing that they told, he told them not to do, and they're feeling the repercussions of it already, and they are hiding. They're hiding, and they know that they're naked, so their innocence is completely gone. And guys, in the same way, see, they're hiding behind a tree. In the same way today, man, we still hide behind a tree. We still hide behind a tree from the wrath, from the judgment, the punishment of God. But the tree that we hide behind is a tree that was used as a cross, where that same God in that same garden with Adam and Eve came and lived a sinless life here on earth and was crucified, dead, and buried on that cross in our place for our sins, for our disobedience why why to save us and to provide a way to bring us back home to provide a way to bring us back home that's when we look at the gospel message we all of a sudden we start to see what this is all about saving us and bringing us back home but the only way is through grace the only way is through grace. And the only way to grace is through, this, is, is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross in our place. And when we repent to, to Jesus, when we, when we uh, repent and we ask Jesus to be Lord and Savior of our life, not only does he save us, but he leads us all the way back home. Genesis 3, 10 through 12. We're going to skip down. And then he said, I heard you in the garden. This is, uh, this is Adam talking to pre-incarnate Jesus. And he said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So he knows that he was naked. I hid. Then he asked, who told you that you were naked? This is Jesus talking to Adam, pre-incarnate Jesus. 
Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Then the man replied, The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. So in this scene, we see sin already unraveling itself. The things, I mean, God created us for a perfect world, unmarred by sin. And all of a sudden, now we see shame. We see guilt. We see fear entering the scene because they're hiding from him. And then notice, too, in this text, man, God gives Adam a chance to, to confess this and to ask him for help. Why do, we, why do I think that? Because he's the God of the universe. He knows what happened as soon as it happened. It's not like he had to wait for Adam to tell him what happened. He knew this. And this is Adam's chance. And don't miss what Adam does with his chance. Here's his chance to say, I screwed up. I messed up. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. Please help me. Here's his chance. What does he do? He does the same thing that all of us, so many of us do whenever we're caught in sin. What is that? The blame game. He blames everybody else. And who's the first person that he blames? The same one that one chapter ago he was singing this love song to, going nuts, going crazy over his wife. He blames the woman. And then who does he blame? That you gave me God. He blames. This dude has the guts. He has the audacity to blame God. He is blaming everyone except for who? Himself. Everyone else. Guys, and it's easy to look at this text and it's easy to judge him and say, you know what, how could that dude do that? What do you, what do you tell you? did nothing while your wife was sitting. You knew that he was lying to her, and you did it, and then you ate it. This is your fault, dude. How could you do that? And then you're blaming God, too. But guys, how often do we do the same thing? We blame each other. We blame other people around us, anybody that we can, and then we blame God for the sinful actions, the sinful choices that we commit. This wasn't God's fault. It wasn't even Eve's fault as much as it was Adam's fault. And the ripple effects of sin that continued to just reverberate. I mean, it grew, it grew like cancer throughout the world. Just sin growing and growing and getting worse and worse. And our sin has now completely just tarnished this perfect world that God created for us. Not because of God, because of us. But thank God, thank God that he did not leave us in our sin. And that he did not abandon us even though we abandoned him. Thank God that he came for us. And in Genesis, you, you fast forward here in this text in verse 15. What does God do? He promises to send an offspring that would one day come, defeat Satan, overcome sin. And we know that offspring is Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, who defeated sin, overcome, over, defeated Satan, overcame um, uh, sin and also death in his death, burial, and resurrection. Because the gospel screams of God's love for us. It screams of God's love for even... The, God's wrath and punishment, man. We can still see God's incredible love and his grace for us. Check this out. Genesis 3, verse 22. We're going to skip down. Verse 22 through 23. It says, The Lord God said, Since the man has, come, has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out, take from the tree of life, eat and live forever. So the Lord God sent him away from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove the man out and stationed the cherubim and the flaming whirling sword. Try saying that ten times fast. Flaming whirling sword east of the Garden of Eden to guard the way to the tree of life. So why did God kick them out of the garden? Two main reasons. A few reasons, but two main ones. One, because sin. Because sinners cannot be in the presence of a holy, righteous, perfect God. Why? Why? Because they would die. They would die. So he kicks them out for that reason. Second main reason that we see is because if they stayed in the garden, if they had eaten from the tree of life, then they would have lived forever, catch this, they would have lived forever as sinners, as sinners. See, yes, yes, he kicked them out because of, you know, uh, judgment and, and punishment, 
And yes, and we can't just wipe that under the floor. Yes, it was judgment. It was punishment. And that is a reason that he kicked him out. But he also kicked him out because of love and grace and mercy. I mean, think about this. If, if he just wanted to judge them, if he wanted to punish them, all he would have had to do is just destroy them. I mean, he would just destroy them and start all over, but he didn't. Why? Because he loves them. Because his heart has always been to save them, to save us, and to bring us back home. That is God's heart. That's where we see the gospel message, man. And um, it, what happens, too, is when they're kicked out of the garden, God's place heaven. We talked about this before. God's place heaven man's place earth where it was together in the garden of eden because god's presence was there where god's presence is that's where heaven is right so eden the garden of eden was literally heaven on earth but now they're separated why because of sin sin has created a wedge between these two places but what's incredible what's and that's why we're going through so many texts today it's a lot of stuff and i know that it's probably like being hit with a water hose okay but here's the reason okay it's because I want you to see how everything winds together. It's all interweaving together. All of it. From the whole thing. This whole, I mean, the Bible screams of God's desire, God's heart, God's longing to save us, to ultimately bring us back home. We see that in that overarching theme of the entire Bible. What is that? It's the gospel message. God's plan of redemption for us, for the entire world. That is the central focus, the theme of the entire world. Bible is God's plan of redemption to save us and to bring us back home. It's all interwoven together. And then when Jesus paid our penalty by dying on the cross, catch this. So, so, so picture this scene. Jesus is on the cross, right? He's paying our penalty for our sins, for our disobedience. He's on the cross. What's the last thing that he says? The last thing that he says, the word tetelestai, which means it is finished or your debt is paid in full. Right? So he says that word. He breathes his last, and then he dies. And then what happens when he dies? The veil is torn, right? From top to bottom. Big, thick, tall veil, really, really thick. It tears from top to bottom. That's significant because God tore that veil, not some random dude. God tore the veil. Why was the veil in the temple in the first place? To separate us from the presence of God. Sinful men cannot be in the presence of a holy, righteous God. But when Jesus died, the moment that he died, the veil was torn, meaning we had direct access to the very presence, to the very throne room of God. And that's significant for so many reasons. But there's a reason that I want to tell you that might kind of like blow somebody's mind in here. It might be something that's like, what? I haven't, you know, or, so just bear with me here. Bear with me. The first century Christians... What they thought, when they thought of the, the life of Jesus, the, the, the um, ministry of Jesus, when they thought of the death, burial, the resurrection of Jesus, and the, and the veil uh, tearing, what they thought, when they thought about that, what they thought in the way that they lived, is that was essentially phase one, catch this, phase one of heaven invading earth. That was phase one of heaven invading earth. In fact, the, the first century Christians, the reason that they lived so radically is they fully believed what we are. They believed this, that they were ambassadors for Christ. They were ambassadors for the kingdom of heaven. And they believed that the, their churches, those first century churches, were um, embassies for the kingdom of heaven, where they declared loudly, and they lived this out with their life, that, hey, heaven has already, this, is, this process has already begun of heaven invading earth. So repent and believe, because King Jesus is coming, and he's coming soon. And that is why they lived with such abandonment, because they believed with, with every fiber of their being. That Jesus, this process of heaven invading earth, had already begun. Think about this. Think about the Lord's Prayer. What's the focus of the Lord's Prayer? 
on earth as it is in heaven. To bring heaven to earth. That is the focus of the prayer. Think about the life, the ministry, and especially the miracles of Jesus. Think, well, what did he do in those miracles? The lame walk, the blind see, the dead are raised to life. These are pictures of what is to come, guys. He's showing us, guys, this is what we were created for. This is what it's going to be like in heaven. There are not going to be people that are lame because the lame are going to walk. There's not going to be people that are blind. The blind will see and the dead will raise. These are pictures of things to come. The way that God has always always intended it up for us to be and the way that it will be again when we are in heaven that's always been his intent with him on heaven in heaven on earth and um we get this picture in revelation 21 we're going to end with this we're going to wrap this up in revelation 21 and, and i want you to i want you to kind of see this and listen to this in light of everything that because we talked about a lot of stuff but I want you to, to listen to this. So I'll read this again in light of what we've talked about. This is John talking. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. So God's place, heaven, is coming back to man's place, earth. And it's going to be similar to the Garden of Eden, but it says there's going to be a city. So what that means is it's going to be similar to the Garden of Eden, but so, so, so much better. So much better. And then John says, we're going to end with this, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. The one seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. He also said, right, because these words are faithful and true. As in heaven, there will be no hardships. There will be no pain, no suffering. None of this stuff will exist. None of that stuff. Last part of verse 5, look, I am making everything new. He also said, right, because these words are faithful and and true. In other words, nothing, nothing, nothing is going to keep Jesus from coming back for us and from bringing heaven to earth where we will finally be home. And that's how he ends this. Worship team, you guys can come on up. And if you're here today, if you've, if you've never responded to the gospel, man, then you don't have to wait. We talk about this all the time. Jesus meets us where we're at. He'll save you where you're at. And with this picture of heaven, guys, we're not meant to just, you know, be floating on some puffy white clouds, singing kumbaya, or like, you know, playing a harp or something. It is going to be incredible. But the most important thing, the most incredible aspect of this is we're going to be in the presence of Jesus forever. There's going to be no pain. Nobody, nobody's going to be lame. There's not going to be people that have, you know, mental disorders or disabilities in their life. It's not going to exist. People that have physical deformities in this life, it's not going to exist. That was never God's intention. That's the result of sin, not God's good creation. You have so much to look forward to. So if you're in here, you've never responded to the gospel message. He will meet you where you're at. He will save you right where you're at. And if you're here today and maybe you're like, man, I've, I believe, but I haven't really taken this seriously. I haven't really taken this seriously, my walk with Christ, and I've had this bad view of heaven, and I haven't really, I've been living for, this is why it's so important for us to have a proper view of heaven, because if your view of heaven is going up on some puffy white cloud and, and playing a harp, then you are going to live it up in this life, because that sounds like hell. 
But with a proper view of heaven, all of a sudden, we know what we are living for. We are striving for Jesus. We're striving for paradise. That's why this is so important. And so if you're sitting there today and you're like, man, I haven't been taking this seriously. I haven't been taking this seriously. But I'm ready to, to, to take this seriously. I'm, I'm ready to take this next step in my relationship with him. If that's you here today, then don't wait. The altar is open. I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to pray with you. If you have any questions, there's no judgment in this place. There are no dumb questions. So as we, as we sing, we're going to stand together. Let's go ahead and stand. And we're going to sing one last song. We're going to praise and worship King Jesus with one last song. But as, however God's put it on our, your heart, you respond. He loves you so much. He'll meet you right where you're at. Guys, first off, I just want to say thank you for joining us today for the sermon. And uh, whether you're somebody that's come to our church or you're somebody that lives locally, you go to another church, maybe you don't even live here. Um, I just want I just want to say first and foremost, thank you for joining us. And uh, I, I want to encourage you to, to respond in some way today because, you know, when we hear a sermon, when we read the Bible, when we, um, whatever it may, may be, the point of that is, um, for God to speak to us in some way, shape, or form. And so if you are a Christian, um, you've been a seasoned Christian, you know the Lord already, then the way that we can respond is just by, you know, asking Him, God, what do you want me to do with the convictions that you're giving me uh, based on this sermon, the way that you're speaking to me? What do you want me to do? And then respond to that. Maybe it's an area of your life that you've been holding on to um, and, and you haven't been giving it to Him. And I want to encourage you to give that to Him and step out in faith. Or maybe if it's, um, you know, some unbelief that you've had and, and God has really convicted you of some things. Um, you know, whatever it may be for you, it's different for everyone. I want to encourage you to respond to God and, and step in His direction. And, and the other thing too is if, if you are somebody that maybe you've listened to this and you've never responded to that gospel message, you've never been, been impacted by that gospel message, but now something is happening, God is kind of stirring in your heart and in your mind a little bit, then I want to encourage you to step out in faith, respond to that gospel message. And throughout the book of Acts, um, Acts tells us our history as a church. Uh, it shows us that you know, what that response looks like. So number one is to repent. And this word repent, all that means is just to turn from, you know, our sinful ways, our sinful desires, you know, turn from making ourself God and all these other things in life, God, and turn to God and just give Him our life. Um, and, and then on top of that response, after the repentance, it comes something else. It's called baptism. And, and baptism is so key. It's so important. It's seen all throughout um, that book and Acts and, and the importance and significance of it. Um, it's this symbol of death to the old self and, and then um, birth to uh, this new life in Christ. And we're, 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 uh, we die with Christ to the old self and we are raised with Christ to, to walk in this new life. And it's a command from Jesus. So I want to encourage you, if you have made that commitment to Christ, if you have stepped out um, and you are wanting to follow Christ, then I want to encourage you to take that next step and be baptized somewhere. Whether it's if you have a local church that you want to go be baptized at, I encourage you to do that. Um, if you don't have a church, we would love to be able to celebrate that with you um, here. But I encourage you first and foremost to do that, to, to talk with someone, um, to get counsel on what this means, to seek discipleship as well. So. Um, I encourage you to do those things. We would love to talk with you. We are praying for you. I want you to know that you are loved and you are prayed for.
So if you're ready to take that next step in your relationship with Christ, um, and if you want to take that next step with us, then we are we, we would welcome you with open arms. And so there's some links that we're going to provide below for you. Uh, please check that out. Um, and again, if you if you have any prayer requests, um, please contact us. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you. And we're excited about taking this next step with you.